0: Hi everybody, and welcome to Mark's Movie Collection, uh, hold on, let me adjust this microphone. Hi everybody, and welcome to Mark's Movie Collection, number something, I don't know, I think I'm gonna stop numbering, actually, uh, it just makes life easier, because I get confused, I am easily confused, and I'll just, you know, kinda break stuff into seasons, um, but this is, uh, this is gonna be the mid-season finale, I'll have a a mid-season update episode, but this will be a mid-season finale episode. And I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, and I'm going to be watching a movie that I uh, I've seen a lot, uh, I haven't seen it in many years, but I've seen it many times, and I quite enjoy it.
1: This is a Tony Scott movie, and uh, Tony Scott, unfortunately, and sorry for the typing sounds,
0: fortunately uh, was diagnosed with cancer and killed himself. Uh, that's very sad. It's very sad for the Scott family. Um, but, I mean, that just, it happened, but Tony Scott is notably Ridley Scott's brother and a great director in his own right. Uh, I believe that Top Gun was a Tony Scott movie. Um, and I can confirm that for you in a hot second with a new tap.
1: Uh, please, uh, not producer, director, yes, Top Gun, Days of Thunder, another Tom Cruise movie. Pretty alright, by all accounts. Last Boy Scout, True Romance,
0: I do need to see. True Romance is a Quentin Tarantino written movie. Um,
1: Enemy of the State. Spy Game. Man on Fire. Domino. Deja Vu. Uh, Taking of Pelham 123
0: and Unstoppable. Meh. But, um, uh, by all accounts are very, um,
1: you know, he, he did stuff. So, this movie stars Brad Pitt, and uh robert redford
0: and it's called spy game and it came out in 2001 and i know that you're maybe seeing a pattern here i've seen a lot of movies around the year 2000 2001 i was um you know 14 15 16 in that span um yes eventually i will be talking about episode one of which recently i my mom found a picture of me on crutches i think either the day of or very close to the day of that we went to see episode one And I was on crutches, I had a a knee injury that just plagued me for essentially the rest of my life, but or the the, the beginning of several knee injuries, anyway. But yeah, it was just wild to see me so young and beardless. Uh, I haven't shaved my beard off since 2013. So, yeah. It's just weird. There are people who know me now who have never seen me without a beard. Anyway, this is a spy game. It is a spy movie by all accounts. It's got some great characters, some cool action. It's very layered. It's a little more nuanced than maybe some people would have liked. It's more nuanced than The Born Identity. If you want to go back and listen to that episode, um, The Born movies are kind of an A to B uh, adventure. This is not that. But I think that's why I like it. I think that it doesn't underestimate the intelligence of the audience i think that it gives the audience credit and it uses a lot of uh, good movie techniques to tell a story versus the born movies which are literally
1: a camera following around matt damon not saying that's a bad thing necessarily it's just it's a different thing
0: so i'm going to go ahead i'm going to watch that now and i'm going to cheat i'm going to cheat a tiny tiny bit it's on Hulu. I'm not going to fight with discs or players or anything like that. I'm going to watch it on Hulu. But I have the DVD. I have l- watched it with director commentary uh, many years ago. If I recall some cool nugget of information, one of which I'm thinking of particularly, you know, I'll I'll I'll, I'll point that out. But it's going to be fun to to watch this movie with a more mature perspective. And if you haven't seen Spy Game, like I said, it's on Hulu. It's probably other places as well, just generally how that thing goes. Uh, please watch it. I, I genuinely enjoy it, and I'm
1: hopefully going to enjoy it again. And we'll talk about it in a, in a couple seconds.
0: Okay, so 2001, Tony Scott, Spy Game. I still like this movie. I, I still like this
1: movie quite a bit. And I, I think I can I think I can narrow it down pretty well. Um,
0: I took a lot of notes uh, on this more than I thought I would, and I think that ties in well with why I like this movie. I like this movie. I think in some because it is information dense. At the top, i I kind of talked about how I felt that this movie respected the intelligence of the audience and i still think that i still think that they do explain things it's not like you know fuck you if you didn't get it but if you get it you got it earlier you got it ahead you understood the subtext of the scenes as they happened versus having to kind of go back and be like oh if you even had that like if you're even keeping track that far back, because some people just just watch the movies to watch the events unfold in front of them in a series,
1: and I'm not gonna lie, sometimes I want to do that too. So you know, there's that. But I really liked it. Um, there were some actors in the
0: movie that I I now recognize, uh, Benedict Wong, from. Doctor Strange, among other things, but I guess more famously from, you know, the Marvel properties was in this. He was, um, he was Brad Pitt's boy. You know, there's a few other people, uh, Stephen Delane. He's an English actor, and I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. I didn't know he was English for a long time. You might have heard of, uh, a couple of guys named, I don't know, Robert Redford. You might have heard that name. and Brad Pitt, maybe you've heard of him. They're in this movie, too. And Catherine McCormick. And Catherine McCormick. I'm going to click here. Catherine was in Braveheart. That's why she looked so familiar. She was also in 28 Weeks Later. Um, Which I think I saw. I don't know. I'm not, not huge into zombie movies. I'm like, oh, fucking zombie movies. That's not my look. Um... Ah, she was also in Taylor of Panama, which was an annoying movie. A John Le Carre book, uh, which just kind of is par for the course. Is stupid, and he talks to ghosts. Yeah, not in in too much stuff. Um, She spaces him out. I think she probably has a life of her own. She was Lady Carmichael in Sherlock. The episode The Abominable Bride. So I'm sure I saw her there and was like, huh? Um, and she's been in other things and she's still working now, which is cool, which is always good to see. I quite liked her, um, performance. I quite liked everybody's performance. I should say, I think everybody did a great job. I
1: think she did a great job. Um, I think that the casting was really nice and
0: I, I feel like everybody had the look that they needed to have. And one of the things that is really interesting watching this movie is that, in a, in a way, Robert Redford and Brad Pitt look alike. So there's almost this father-son relationship with them. So that was a really cool thing that you only get through casting. There's no, no script that'll give that to you and things like that. You only get that through casting. So I really liked a lot of the casting in this movie. Um, Nothing really stood out to me as as being bad at all. And like I said, I think everybody did a really good job. Uh, I would actually love to see the budget of this movie. Not saying that budget is the end-all be-all, but sometimes it is indicative of
1: how you, what latitude there is in casting and things like that. Oh, it did not do well. Wow. Wow. Okay. It it did not do very good, unfortunately. Not that it it failed, but
0: um budget was estimated at 115 million in 2001. That is a significant amount of money. Um very significant indeed. Especially for um a movie that is not a CGI or or not an apparent um, CGI frag fest, right? It's not a superhero punch fest or anything. It's pretty... They did have to date things for the time period, and in thinking about it, some of the Cessin areas, if they were not CG, they were very laborious to execute. Things like Beirut, I can imagine being... Very difficult indeed to to execute. So I can see that um, being a high budget, but it's also a Robert Redford Robert Redford, Brad Pitt movie, which I mean should be printing money by all accounts. And opening weekend USA, it made twenty one mil, and uh, gross USA,
1: um, you know something like five months afterwards was twenty six mil. So, fucking dumbass
0: audiences went to see this movie and were like, "I don't fucking get it! Why didn't they shoot everybody Th- That's what I assume they said, and i'm I'm actually I am gonna take some time and and go back and I'm seeing these numbers exactly for the first time right now, but now I have to go back and see what what reviews were like in in 2001, and this is something that i don't I don't necessarily do, but I'm very curious. Uh, Worldwide gross was 143, so at the very least, it seems to have made its money back. Okay, I guess we can check Rotten. Uh, Okay, we can check a a Roger Ebert here. He gave it three and a half stars. Um, Is that out of five
1: or is that out of three? Because Google says it's 2.5 out of four. I'm very confused. Um.
0: Okay, interestingly enough, um, Taylor of Panama and Spy Game actually came out in the same year, um, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna pause the recording here while I read this, because it's not a short read, and I don't want to skim over it, I just, I kind of want to understand what he's talking about, so, give me a hot second. Boop! Okay. So in digesting uh in digesting Roger Ebert's review and another review that I had to go to the Wayback Machine to actually read, um, by Jeffrey Overstreet. I I kind of I see where they're coming from. I I respectfully disagree. I'm I'm gonna remind our listeners that this is Mark's movie collection and this is how Mark feels about things. And it's not academically written in stone. It is not academically black and white. However, I will have arguments on on some things versus others, and a lot of the things that a lot of uh, some I should say some of the things, if not a lot of them, that both reviews brought up, I actually saw as benefits to. To the movie, but this also brought about my look back at movies of this time. And it's it's insane how many movies from around this time I've actually already done on this podcast. I need to fucking I need to spice it up, you know? Because I'm I'm kind of doing all the same shit, sort of. Um, because they're they're very different movies where they can be. Um
1: so things like um they say that there's no Character,
0: and I disagree strongly on that. Uh, they say that the camera detracts from, the, resists interest, I believe is what, um, Roger Ebert says, and
1: fucking, he's Roger Ebert. He may be a million percent right, but I disagree. Um. Jeffrey Overstreet says that the movie celebrates moral lapses. I disagree. Um. And he also said that the distraction, the the rapid cuts were distractions. I I don't agree with
0: that. But he also calls out the, uh, quote unquote hyperactive camera and
1: and, and adding to tension. And I fully agree with that. Right. Um, and I'll get there. Um. And yeah, there's some maybe
0: details like almost continuity details that didn't quite work out,
1: but I'm not going to nitpick. I don't, I don't nitpick movies quite in that way. Um Ebert uh seems to favor a really, really slow, not good script
0: in Taylor of Panama because he kind of, I think he maybe more appreciates um, people sitting on a take or a reveal or something like that. Um, so one thing that Spy Game does not do is it does not sit anywhere. And I'm going to say that I disagree with these two uh reviewers and I'm sure a lot of other reviewers have a lot of similar things to say and I'm just going to go ahead and blanket disagree with most of 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 their stuff too. And I'll I'll kind of go into my stuff and then you can you can compare and contrast uh on your own. You know, we get a lot of Nathan's character uh, Robert Redford's character Nathan Muir. We get a lot of it not from dialogue, not from exposition. There's no character like I'm gonna talk to you about what you did 20 years ago in in detail at length to give the audience background. That is not that is not how this movie w- quite works. I say quite, but that's kind of not how it works. When when you are with uh when you're watching this movie you're constantly in media res um and that's that's kind of how the the story mechanism is you come across a situation and through that situation being maneuvered uh by nature there are flashbacks and so we're kind of seeing both threads of the story uh unwinding at the same time even though uh chronologically laid out, they obviously occurred at different times. And that's kind of how the movie moves, and there are tensions on both sides of that. Uh like on both stories and it's it's very engaging and I I was personally personally um captivated and spellbound by the movie um because it doesn't hit you with that exposition. You have to watch it, you have to pay attention uh you know we we open on Nathan and he has a background that is is this warm wood he he's you know driving uh an old uh non-computerized Porsche and he really has this uh this old school feel and and the movie takes place i guess roughly around 2001 maybe a little earlier um just to make the age of the actors uh work a little better but He is an old school man. He's a a stand-up guy. You know, he's a a real stand-up guy, right? He really is something else. He's a real piece of work. Uh, I I really can't think of a good cliche for him. Um, And then already in the beginning when we're introducing Nathan, we're getting these crazy uh, helicopter pans of the Porsche driving around D.C. You know, at maybe a speed that it shouldn't be. It's things like that. Um you know, stylistically it's a lot like Enemy of the State, the but the camera just the camera moves in this one.
1: I'll tell you what. And I mean just get used to it. So I guess the difference here, and somebody's gonna be like, Oh, it's like Michael Bay. Like, not really, dude. Um
0: So the camera moves a lot and and the the helicopter shots are they are the circle pans or whatever just kind of like michael bay but these are are wides that would have no impact otherwise they're like super wide um versus michael bay which uh gets a circle track of of dolly right up on the characters and gives them a a cowboy shot and be like shoot, just got real like that's kind of goofy um especially when they they do it like 55 times and for all i know i mean they could have learned this trick in the same place uh tony scott and michael bay and just used it differently and and i mean that's fine that's that's okay i'm not i'm not saying that one is correct versus the other i'm just saying that they are similar but they are the situations are different so i think that the criticisms should be different there as well and i am a I i am a tony scott apologist sure you know, whatever. He's not my favorite director or anything, but this is maybe a movie that I like more than average. Uh, so I'm gonna be biased as shit all throughout this. Um, so not cheesy, Michael Bay. There's no weird motion in the close-ups and things like that. No cowboy shots. This isn't that type of movie. This isn't that. This isn't that type of. This isn't that rodeo. This is. This is a different, very different movie. Um, But even then, this kind of camera movement and these quick and sometimes glitchy cuts feel very 2001, and I wrote this down. Um, And, you know, with Nathan, you get the idea that he's an old school guy, and there's no zero exposition on any of this. Like, you just have to watch, and this is just in his drive to work, basically. And and these are, are behaviors and things that the audience will internalize if they are paying attention. At least I did. Um, maybe that's just how I work, how I learn. Maybe others don't, and maybe that's kind of why this movie was... was it didn't do well in, in box office, even though uh, Rotten Tomatoes users rated it as 75. You know, it's 75% fresh. That's that's pretty fresh in the grand scheme of things. And, and critics were not awful either. They were, like, in the 60s, 66 you know, somebody, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop talking about reviews. I really am. Uh, completely. I'm actually closing them right now and I'm going to return to my notes. So, you know, they, they, they also set the stage for Langley and like, I just saw the cube form and I'm like, Oh my God, that is such a sick office space. There's like CRT monitors and stuff like that. Remember in in 2001, if you listen to my swordfish fucking rant fest, I mentioned that LCD monitors were impossible to get. So the fact that um, Hugh Jackman's character's supercomputer provided to him by a fucking maniac had like eight LCDs. It was like, whoa, it it was crazy at the time. Um, You know, so in that we we. uh, We walk into Nathan's office and. We see that it is messy and, and lived in, even though it's been packed up, it's still pretty messy. Uh, you know, leather chair, wood desk, like all these warm, uh, earthy tones. And that theme kind of follows him around, um, because that contrasts him with the maybe more standard G-men around. Uh, Harker is is one of them, and Harker's played by Stephen Delane, and, and he's a really good foil maybe antagonist is maybe too harsh a word but maybe foil is too soft a word for uh nathan muir because there are points where they are in direct conflict but that comes later um you know but we we see
1: nathan's retirement thing bahamas he's got his place picked out and You know, he, uh, he gets wind that Tom Bishop has been involved in a thing. And so he
0: grabs those files right away. And he puts his retirement stuff in a Tom Bishop folder. He gives the files to his assistant in a burn bag. And I guess maybe people didn't understand what that bag was. That's a burn bag. That, that is a bag to be inserted directly into an incinerator without being opened. Um, so that the contents are destroyed. Puts all his Tom Bishop stuff in a burn bag, gives it to his assistant, and says, hold on to this with your life. Because um, the thing about Nathan, Nathan is is ahead of the game, almost always. Even when he's
1: behind, he's still looking to put himself in an advantageous position. And I'm going to
0: maybe pause right here and just say that this is a movie full of Chekhov's guns. This is a movie chock full of Chekhov's guns. There are things that are are paid off before they're set up, things that are paid off after they're set up. And it just, it feels good for an active audience, an active watcher to see these things and and understand how they work and how they were placed, how they were designed, how they were crafted. I like seeing, I like knowing how movies are made because I love movies. So I just, I naturally want to know more. Um, And that's kind of, how this is going for me uh so far? I mean, seeing all these these setups and payoffs, or payoffs and then setups, which are I guess reverse payoffs because they do pay off when you see the setup. It, it feels good. It feels good. It it makes me feel like I learned something. Like I communicated with the filmmakers, and they communicated with me, or or like I I understood. Like I was picking up what they were laying down. <clears throat> But uh, he puts his retirement files into the Tom Bishop file. And that is just wonderful, wonderful foreshadowing. You know, it's like he's going to take all of this and sacrifice it for Tom. And that's a spoiler. And you should have seen the movie, even though I said I wasn't going to talk about reviews again. But there was the Rotten Tomato summary is uh, the outcome of the kinetic spy game is never in doubt. But it's fun watching Robert Redford and Brad Pitt work. Um, it was not doubt because I didn't know, based on anything other than Brad Pitt, what what the end of the movie is going to be like. Um, so I guess the outcome being, oh, Brad Pitt lives, was never in doubt. Sure, because he's a huge movie star. And, oh, Robert Redford lives. I guess he's also a huge movie star um but i don't know i don't know what the, what the, what kind of snarky bullshit
1: they were implying there uh, so i'm going to stop talking about reviews for reals so yeah robert redford comes into this and he's coming into it in media res as well which is always
0: fun um usually you can be ahead of a character behind a character or with a character and we are We are very with Robert Redford um, through the movie in that the audience does not necessarily know more than Robert Redford knows, but Robert Redford also does not know more than what the audience knows. The movie does a really good job of illustrating to the audience what information is being gleaned from any particular situation. Just you have to be able to pay attention. And then they kind of they kind of like retroactively like confirm like hey did you get from this past scene that he learned that the name of the thing was this or whatever and, and you know in my head I'm like yes, but a, I've seen this movie many times, uh probably well definitely over ten, but probably less than fifty you I know mean, fifty seems way too much, but ten seems too little and b i was I was watching the crap out of it this time like I was just fucking pause it and write notes and if I wasn't paying attention I'd go back and be like what did I miss there so you know there's that um but anyway uh Nathan Muir figures out kind of what the pressure point is he was summoned and he provided a file and he's like hey can I get in there and they're like no no no, get out of here scrub so he um you know and he deliberately gave them like one sheet of paper like this is all I got which is um, a very nice old-school... like. Um, so I think one of the, the things that you need to pick up is that he is respected in the CIA, and this is all into his walk, into his, his walk into work and stuff like that. He's respected in the CIA, but he also doesn't necessarily... He's not a stickler for all of the uh bureaucracy and 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 procedure and things like that now he does obviously have have rules and he understands rules and and how they work but you know sometimes he he flaunts what he feels are ineffectual or inefficient rules and this is also a good amount of foreshadowing he 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 walks in, he's just like, hey, and the guy's like, hey, Nathan, you know, like, just checks his Porsche and is like, cool, you know, his Porsche, because it is pronounced Porsche. Don't, don't argue with me. Don't argue with anybody, because you'd be wrong. Um, It just sounds very hating, like Porsche, right? So people just say Porsche, right? Because it sounds a little more sleek, a little more 2000s. Uh,
1: it's Porsche. So, you know, there's things like that, and that kind of, that explains to you the type of person that he is
0: and he's he's old school he doesn't like bureaucracy he doesn't like being tied down by bullshit he's well respected so he's good at his job and he's a generally normally i guess a good guy all around to everybody um but him getting into this meeting is is really critical that's the main mechanism for moving the the the, the story the plot of the movie further the things that the audience sees that's critical for the audience so I thought that that was really nice kind of dovetailing those things in together Um, because movies are a medium where they can do things like flashback and forward books are too and authors like Stephen King make extensive use of that so much so that it will never fucking work in a movie made for a hundred and fifteen million dollars because it would be a lot But it's a great book. It is such a wonderful book. And then, you know, there's movies like this where they kind of make it work. There's shows like How I Met Your Mother where they use extensive flashbacks so much so that they cannot tape in front of a live audience. They actually get the laugh track from airing the episode in front of an audience. And it's just one of those things. the, The density of the story and, you know, the setups and the payoffs and all this stuff. It um. It works out that way. So, and and I personally, I enjoy that. It it engages me to kind of keep track of a few more things than just what is happening right now. So, you know, Nathan's in the, the bullpen or whatever, and he figures out, oh, there's some trade shit going on with China, so this must be a China deal, right? Because the president's going to go to China. Everybody's losing their shit over some fucking garbage. So... Some fucking garbage that a court, you know, obvious to him, there's an obvious way to handle this. And it's not being done, right? So there's um, a high stink of politics in the room. So he figures this out even before he walks into the meeting. So he already knows why he's there. He already knows why they asked for the file. And he knows what's going on. So we know that he knows. But he's ahead of the game with all these G men. And they are pale. Everybody there's fucking pale. They're all dressed in, like, blue, black.
1: Uh, I feel like the color palette is even more, like, muted in this meeting room. And,
0: you know, one of them's there, uh, Troy. Troy seems to be, like, the guy in charge. And he's like, oh, hey, Nathan, how are you? And it's like, hey, Troy. And, uh, you know, apparently they, uh, they quote, unquote, came up together. And, uh, you know, Troy's like, well, nobody really knows Nathan kind of thing. But Nathan's dropping all of these um, trade craft like things. He has his assistant page him. Like he's he's controlling the situation. Um, he's observing. He's using all of his faculties to to observe. And when he talks to his secretary, uh, and I say secretary assistant, I guess even though they use the word secretary in the movie. Um I feel like she's more than that. She actually plays a a big role in his success in the movie. Nathan is paying off the setup of being a spy that we get when Brad Pitt gets the setup of being the spy. And he's doing things like pretending to have a phone conversation so that he can have some distance from the other G men and observe them and, and read their lips or listen in on what they're saying and they're just oblivious to it because they are not um they're mostly younger than he is and they are not of the field so um you know nathan was probably in world war ii right he might have worked for oss or or something like that but he was definitely early on i think uh they go back and they say that he did two tours in korea right so just after world war ii kind of thing and then he jumped into the the CIA. So he is a very old school guy. And he'll do things like look at a reflection or, you know, pretend to have a phone call just to change the tempo of the conversation and things like that. These are, are, are like legit-ass spy things that um, the younger generation, they really don't do because they are kind of like the emails. They're the satellite lookers, right? Um, you know, the... Late '80s and stuff, when satellite imagery got a lot better, they're like, "We don't need spy planes. We don't need spies. You know, we're reading people's emails. We're we're taking pictures of their houses. You know, it's it. It was like um, a changing of the guard, if you will. And that kind of plays in with the actual plot of
1: the Born books a bit, not the movie at all, but the books a bit. So that's really interesting
0: um, to see how these two different types of intelligence person kind of uh, clash. And, you know, Nathan is, is the fox, you know, and he outfoxes them. He is Robert Redford, the fox, and he outfoxes them. He uses his wiles, which he passes on to Tom. Tom Bishop is a uh, Brad Pitt's character. And Tom Bishop is codenamed Boy Scout. And we meet Tom, and he is young. He is maybe idealistic, but he is also tainted by Vietnam. This is in the closing of Vietnam. And Robert Redford goes into detail on how he manipulated Tom into joining the CIA. And then here
1: in this training montage, which is really engaging because it's cut super fast. um,
0: We kind of see all these setups that were already paid off by Nathan himself.
1: So we see that he is the spy that he talks about. He, He walks it like he talks it. You know? And then we're also seeing that Tom is... Learning this and
0: excelling at it he's he's getting better by the by the minute, you know, and that's a really cool thing um but also we learn that they're trying to burn Tom on on something they're trying to blame him for something, right His first mission was in Vietnam um in Vietnam in Vietnam, okay, so well, I guess doing the math because I just I remembered another line where they're like, we weren't even at war with them officially. And it's like, uh, okay, so then I was trying to do the math on what year that was. I thought it says 75, maybe it was like 65, 68. Anyway, uh, in Vietnam, the CIA had uh, consultants, I think is the word that they use. Um, but they would actually go out and, and really order assassinations on
1: targets. So Muir orders an assassination and, and Boy Scout has to kind of, Take it over and they the the g
0: men in the room want to take this and run with it, being like, "Oh, he was a trained assassin, you know he's a trained assassin, of course he went off the rails to go kill people or whatever, you know no one's even talked about what actually happened um you know, and that's when the thing with the the phone call happens and all that stuff, and you know Nathan's like he's one of ours, like just acknowledge him and we'll, we'll trade and it's fine he comes home but then they kind of lay it down on him like he's off the reservation and he has 24 hours he's going to be executed so the talk the, the talk is clicking the clock is already ticking on this movie and that's a good um you know that's a good way to get the audience kind of uh amped up a little bit so nathan's whole thing is like how do i defuse this
1: So he goes down the path of, you know, diffusing it. But it doesn't work out, and that's cool, because there's
0: a lot of movie left. The movie is like two and a half hours long or something. Uh, Ooh, running time. I can look this up. This magic of the internet. 126 minutes. So two hours. I don't know where the extra 30 minutes came from. But i had watched about 30 minutes of the movie, and there was still like two hours left.
1: I'm just like, what the hell? So the clock is ticking, and our, our exposition of Tom is us actually living out Tom's life.
0: So it's not like somebody just talking about Tom, or Tom talking about himself. Quite the opposite. We, we see it. We see it play out. So that's a very engaging way of doing that. Because there are tense moments. Because they are motherfucking spies. Like in the real ass sense. They are out there getting information. And they're in East Berlin. and Or West Berlin I should say. And and East Berlin. And they're doing all these things. And and Tom the idealistic boy scout. Is really uh, taking to it. Almost like a fish to water. But he does come into some problems. Tom is
1: idealistic in a way that Nathan maybe has already been jaded. And, you know, Nathan kind of tells him, like, a source is a source. You know, he
0: he drops a few good ones. Like, uh, you know, he's like, go get solicit some information from that woman. And then Tom goes and tries to chat her up and says, oh, where's that dress from? I... My fiance's birthday is tomorrow. and I don't have a present for her. And, you know, Nathan kind of breaks down that interaction for him. He's like, you sacrificed four lies. You, you made four lies to get one piece of dubious information.
1: And now you would have to cover for all those lies. And this is foreshadowing. Um,
0: and then there's a situation where, you know, he's like, uh, you know, an asset's an asset. If it's you know, if it comes to you or them, send flowers. And it's really about the a utilitarian view of of people are are they sources are they assets, and nothing more. And Tom showed a, a little bit of an idiosyncrasy when he was getting recruited for the assassination mission in Vietnam. He's like, I don't need a name, sir. Like, he doesn't want to know the name of his target.
1: He's never going to interact with him. He's a sniper. Shot the guy from a kilometer away. So, he... He isn't afraid of of the violence, but maybe of the
0: the personal aspect of it. Because I think the thesis of the movie, which... um. Maybe a lot of people overlooked was that it is it is possible to get lost in bureaucracy or or caught up in this huge uh mechanism that is is government or or society, but you know uh some people really uh care about other people they care about these individuals and and their relationships and things like that and and Tom is actually one
1: of those people um you know, not to sound insulting or anything, but he he really cares about
0: uh, you know the people that he's trying to help, and there's a, a mission where, where essentially Tom is is asked to escort somebody from East Berlin over to West Berlin, and that mission was destined to fail because it was bait.
1: It was bait for another traitor and you know tom gets the order he's like you know uh leave the bottle right leave the bottles the code for for leave the the uh defector
0: and he gets really upset over the phone and you know nathan has to kind of tell him straight up they'll kill you both if you leave him now you'll have a better chance because they're looking for two men and the, the, these are the implications. I've read a lot of, of Cold War books, so seeing how things worked in the, you know, 60s and 70s and, and even the 80s, there was no, like, internet. You couldn't just fucking Snapchat a wanted photo to everybody or anything like that. So, you'd be it'd like, over the radio, like, two men, one's American, whatever, whatever, one's tall, one's short,
1: so on and stuff like that. So, yeah, splitting up was a huge benefit. Or was it? All oh, right, so Tom
0: gets really upset about this, and he's like, "What the fuck?" And all this stuff. I mean, I mean, there's there's like a couple
1: of f bombs in the movie, not too many. Even though I think it is rated R. Uh, I will check. Yes, rated R. So you get a couple f bombs, uh, a bit of killing, no real graphic violence, um, no nudity that I know of. But he essentially uh, has a rooftop conversation, which is uh, in
0: West Berlin, and it's also a helicopter conversation in that there's a helicopter flying around them, and they get a wide shot on it, and it's it's kind of impactful because you see Berlin spread out, and and you know Brad Pitt throws a chair off a roof. It's it's cool, um, but it's one of those things where he's like, you know, Robert Redford's character Nathan is like never, never disobey the rules, right? When I tell you to drop it, you fucking drop it. Because you could have been dead out there, right? So Nathan's like a dad who's upset at his kid because his kid didn't listen. And the kid's upset because he thinks that the dad is just wrong. And it's one of those things where it's, the again, that, that father-son dynamic, which isn't overemphasized. They, the film just lets it sit and lets you kind of decide. Um, it doesn't let it sit per se in that it's still and you can kind of take your time to decide it, but it doesn't, it doesn't address it. The film is never still. There's no stillness in this movie. It seems, uh, if it was an Aaron Sorkin movie, people would be talking
1: wall to wall, but it is not. Um, it could have been though. And that would have been interesting, but yeah, they, um, they
0: had a shot of, of one of the Asian guys, so so Tom gets caught in a heist in the beginning trying to break somebody out of prison and they show the face of an Asian guy that got away from from the the heist the, the people that got captured and we see him again and he's uh with Tom in Vietnam. So we know this is Tom's boy and this is probably who who let uh you know the CIA know that he was arrested and and stuff like that. Um because that's just the fastest
1: way to get information, and that kind of comes back in, right? But basically, Tom had saved that guy's life already, and I mean, we 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 can see that the theme is kind of this a thing where there's like a government versus you know
0: individuals, and and Nathan kind of. Um, decides that he's going to tank this, uh, this attempt to burn Tom when he gets back to his office, he sees it ransacked, you know, his, his, um, his assistant had called and said that there was just people in there and stuff like that. And so he's like, burn all the, all the Bishop, uh, files and,
1: you know, we're going to get him. Uh, this isn't fair. Right. and he sees the deperson depersonalization that's a hard word to say for me
0: depersonalization and the you know the devaluing of individuals and of individual relationships and you know this a little bit feels like a a continuation of enemy of the state in a way thematically maybe but in a more actiony less fuck
1: the government way but also a little bit yes Um, but we also see that, that Nathan has cultivated a lot of relationships in the CIA and stuff like that. And we understand that we understand that they're assets, right? Because he pays, he had already set that up
0: a little bit, but then he pays it off also. Um, but then he sets it up for, he pays it off in the setup, for tom but he also he he walks it like he talks it like i think i'm going to use that as a summary if if
1: if he does it he probably set it up later in the movie um but he has all of the tradecraft tricks
0: and he doesn't even have a computer in his office his assistant has one he's really that old school guy that i've been talking about But there's a a stark contrast. Um, Nathan is pensive, upset, maybe is the word that I would use, in his office after hearing about Tom. Meanwhile, Harker is doing a little dance uh, and saying, gee, I'm hungry when the food shows up at the meeting. They don't care. In, In that meeting room, in that conference room, no one actually cares about the individual that is Tom Bishop.
1: Nathan Muir is the only person that gives a fuck. Everybody else is like, oh, but the president. Oh, but the trade thing. You know, so, there's a lot of setups. Uh, Nathan setups uh, sets up uh, a
0: four wives thing. He's like, no, it's my second wife and, and stuff like that. But yeah, Tom. Tom is taking over. I know I already went over this But I'm going to save that. I'm going to put a fine point because I wrote it down. Tom really gets to see the fear and desperation in that guy's eyes when he tells him that he can't take him over the border. And it changes him a little bit. Um, Hardens him maybe in a way, but in another way doesn't.
1: So, you know, we once again go to Beirut. or, Or we go back into flashback once again. To go to Beirut, and we see here that Tom is is cultivating a source who
0: they're they're trying to reach a doctor, and this source is a a, a very nice looking young woman who runs a clinic for children
1: in war torn Beirut, nineteen eighty five, and we see that it's it's more than that and and Nathan also sees that it's more than that
0: and they begin a relationship but nathan also understands that this woman is not necessarily um exactly who she pretends to be she's done a lot of bad stuff and he actually confronts them in a in a restaurant and, and kind of drops all this shit on her and you know, Tom's like, hey, um, I'm a spy too. Or she understands that he's a spy because some rando just drops her whole life story in front of her and him. Uh, but, you know, the the lies are uncovered. And there's a, a mission that goes bad. Um, there's a, a very nice doctor that Tom gets very close to as well. Similar to the gentleman that he was taking over from East Berlin. And he is doing his personal best. His personal guarantees that of safety, of of support. And due to circumstances, not necessarily any decision made with full knowledge, just the the best decisions that could have been made at any point in time. Um, but directly through Nathan's actions, that doctor ends up dying. And after that, Tom is kind of he's on a hiatus. He's he's. He's taken aback. He doesn't show up for about a week. Uh, probably goes drinking or, you know, whatever the case. Is. And, uh, you know, he talks to Nathan and he's like, I'm not I'm not going back with you. I hooked
1: up with another op. Um, in the meantime, uh, the female source, Elizabeth, has actually cleared out. So... Oh, I know I wasn't going to talk about reviews, but that was another thing in one of the reviews is that
0: Elizabeth really, um, she doesn't, she doesn't do a whole lot. And this is a, a boy's story indeed. Uh, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty male centric and I get that and I'm not going to deny it, but you know, being a boy myself once I was like, I didn't even notice it. Let's just put it that way. I legitimately did not notice but i'll 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 cop to that freely um because i wanted to talk more about elizabeth but i was like "Ah, but she doesn't do much um but she's a survivor and she's she's trying to do the best she can um but she clears out with a dear john
1: and i also noticed um I was watching this on Hulu, like I said, it was on Hulu, USA Hulu, I would assume.
0: There's a fucking Universal watermark on my movie. And that's really annoying. I couldn't cast it to the Chromecast. I had to log in to the app, which the Hulu app did not detect the keyboard that I had plugged into the TV. Uh, These are little things that bother me about subscription services, about Universal. Uh, I also just recently saw a video by Adam Neely on YouTube about Universal Music Group, and that, that frustrated me as well. So Universal is a, a little bit on my shit list right now, but I don't exactly know what it is that I could do about it. But I did want to point out that I saw that fucking Universal watermark on the bottom right, and I was like, this is what this is all fucking about? I went through the hardest time to watch this movie just
1: because? I fucking pay for Hulu. I'm not stealing it. Don't treat me like a fucking criminal. Anyway. Anyway, in that, um, you know, I digress. Let me go back to the conversation with, and I'm sorry I'm all over the place, but geez, I am, I'm exhausted. I've been sick and it's not been going well, but I'm, I'm feeling better now, which is why I'm, I'm recording this. I hope I sound better. But yeah, Bishop kind of confronts, um, he kind of confronts.
0: Muir and he's like 75 dead you know was it worth it are you happy is actually the words that he used uh or you know he's like how it how it turned out are you happy and and Nathan Muir says uh you know 75 dead uh 75 civilians dead uh leveled apartment block one dead terrace yeah I'm happy and that's kind of the thesis and and up until up until maybe the beginning of this movie, right at the beginning when we see Nathan put his retirement papers in, in Tom Bishop's folder, he was one of the G-men. And, and we see that towards the end of the movie when we have this conversation where we see Tom's opposing view of it, where this was a needless, maybe not needless, but a, a careless and, and tragic loss of life. And it's nothing to be happy about, and he should be shaken up, and he should be considering his own very existence and his own purpose. So he decides to work out of Hong Kong, and that's kind of where that ends up, and then their paths diverge. Uh, They don't really see each other, maybe 10, 15 years or something like that. But somewhere in there, Nathan maybe at the... It's clear that Nathan cares greatly for Tom. And and maybe even sees him as a son in certain ways, because uh, Nathan never had children as far as we can tell. he had uh famously up until now had four wives, has used his current wife as like an excuse to like be like, "Oh, dinner plans this, dinner plans that." but Nathan goes ahead and uses all of his retirement money, he liquidates everything he has and he bribes a Chinese official in the power company to create a blackout at the prison where Tom is being held. And he, in a super
1: fucking tense, like, cut to, cut from game of cat and mouse with Harker, he
0: organizes an operation in the span of some hours. Forges the director's signature and, and does all these things. Uh, that are highly illegal um, to free Tom and Elizabeth from this Chinese prison. Because we also find out towards the end of the movie that he put Elizabeth in that prison. He traded L- Elizabeth up for a, a diplomat from China because Elizabeth in London had blown up. Uh, a. She was an animal rights activist. And, and her group, uh, her included, had blown up a building that they thought was empty. But it actually had people in it. And one of those people was the nephew of a very high-ranking, extremely high-ranking Chinese official. So she basically had a price out on her head from China. Or maybe not a price per se, but they were, they were very interested. So he traded that information for the release of a diplomat that was imprisoned.
1: An American diplomat, I should say. So he put her there, and through his action,
0: he put Tom there too, and he feels fully responsible because he and they they mention it to him, and I guess he kind of understood what he was denying all all along. They're like, uh, uh, somebody tells him, I guess, I guess you know, he he's like, oh, I had her apartment cleared out and forged her a dear John, uh, forged a dear John. And uh, somebody says to him, I guess you underestimated what, how he felt about her. And and it kind of hits him that, that, you know, Tom truly did love and care for Elizabeth. And then it also, I guess, maybe hits him. He's like, you know, maybe I, I, I truly love and, and care for this, this man as well. Uh, in a different way, obviously, but you know, maybe these relationships matter more than what trade deal we're getting
1: um, or or any of those things. So, he fucking, he, he leaves it hangs
0: it all out to dry and he gets Tom rescued and mirroring Tom's escape from or failed escape from the prison in the beginning of the movie nathan is walking out of langley and signing out of langley for the last time because he is retired this is actually the day of his retirement or the day after i should say because he didn't leave the day of and all of this is unraveling as he's walking out and people are finding things out and somebody's like oh they have four he had four wives and then one dude who had never been in that room before it's like no, he didn't. He had one wife, and then now they're understanding that they all got played. Um. And Nathan is poetically rolling out of the gate in his uh in his Porsche, and he sees the guard. Guard looks at him. He's like, about to check him. Phone rings. He's just like, ah, just go on your way. And and he's out. And and he leaves Langley and I don't know if he goes a free man or if he gets caught, but I do know that he is a smart and cunning
1: fellow. I feel like there is, there are things to be said about the morality of these
0: actions. And this was also brought up in those reviews that I refuse to talk about. Um, specifically, uh, Jeffrey Overstreet he gets mad because this guy did illegal things, and i was I was uh, bamboozled was the word uh let me see maneuvered he was maneuvered into rooting for a dangerously reckless and presumptuous man and that um i think is is not the thesis of the movie.
1: what he does is Dangerous, yes. Reckless, no, actually. Um, I think he fully understood what he was doing and what the
0: implications were. And he took efforts, he took steps to make sure that everybody was removed from his actions. And there were were times already where he was asked, uh, I think um, when they asked him whose idea it was to to get rid of uh, Elizabeth. He's like, oh, those are my actions and bind alone. He's not trying to take anybody down with him. He's definitely um, fully uh, capable of understanding personal responsibility for one's own actions. So, uh, yes, what he did was illegal. Maybe what he did was, was ill-advised, but he professed a good understanding of the political situation prior to any action being taken at the beginning of the movie and he seemed a very cool and collected or maybe just a very collected individual with a lot of information and a lot of experience to draw from which is how he was able to acquire all the information necessary to create this
1: operation to have it execute and to have it be successful. One of those things was actually piggybacking
0: off the understanding that Tom had already done ninety-nine percent of this legwork already, and that those that information existed somewhere,
1: so that might be a, a detail that was missed. Um, but we don't. I think laws are in place to keep general behavior curtailed,
0: but I don't. I think laws and ethics are separate. Is I guess what I'm saying uh laws and ethics are separate and laws do protect our society and we should have them and we should follow them and i don't necessarily think that it's okay to be this this movie character i don't i don't think that these characters in a movie should exist in real life nor do i think they could uh because they are are superhero spies really but i don't know i mean i think this is a nice story i think that it's a nice there are nice archetypes i think the old school guy who ultimately really cares about getting the job done and things like that is is better than the you know soulless computer kids um one of them notably being named aiken which i felt was like a a reference to howard aiken uh howard aiken very important in computing Uh. Physicist and pioneer in computing, being the original concept designer behind IBM's Harvard Mark I computer, and also looked like a grade A fucking weirdo. Dude looked like he would have been in Jack Parsons' weird uh, fucking Pasadena cult. He looks strange as fuck in his Wikipedia photo. So I will, I will link that shit if I remember. Um, but he looks wild. Wild yeah I think anyone comparing these characters to real people um they're gonna miss that point uh they're they're gonna find them lacking because they are quote unquote not deep enough. I disagree um I think you just have to pay a little more attention, but in the case of Elizabeth, she is not deep enough um but it, it's just it's a story it's a story it's a spy story it's about it's about the thrill. The the clock is ticking. Our our kind of villain hero not villain, our our reluctant hero is, is is working hard and working against all odds and sacrificing everything, even his freedom at this point, to to help our other hero who is our, our more virtuous hero. Right? So we I guess we have a maybe a a dark hero, not an anti hero quite. But kind of an anti-hero because I am ninety-eight point seven five percent sure that he orders the m- violent murder of uh, somebody found to be selling secrets to the communists. Uh, a woman who approaches him at a party, and th- the thing with uh, with Tom, where where he he gets caught with the East German, and it was bait. That woman, like, legitimately just straight up tells
1: him, tells Nathan at that party, oh, you're bringing somebody over. You know, and he's like, the fuck? So I think he
0: straight had her murdered in a, in a violent fashion. Maybe he even did it himself. Who knows? Um. So I don't think he is virtuous in that respect, but I do think that he tries to do write things when when necessary. I think his, his goal... I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to rationalize that information. I'm going to stop rationalizing it, and I think that he has her straight murdered for, for being how she was, which was mean and murderous, even. He's not our hero, but he is the hero
1: of the story. Our hero. Our hero should be Tom. Because Tom kind of rejects Nathan's view on things um And he tries to he tries to do better.
0: He tries to do other things. He doesn't want to be in this violent cold war uh,
1: you know with uh, the ussr and and Germany anymore so yeah I mean, that's the movie. Those are the themes I guess uh, anyway, the themes that I could pick up um i didn't
0: I didn't run through the plot in depth. There are other things that happen. I'm sure there
1: are things that happened out of order uh, from how i how I said them. but yeah, I just I like the movie. The movie's a good watch, the hyperactive camera.
0: Um, it, it's never boring. No, there's no long bathtub scene or anything. It's not the English patient. You just, you go on a ride, but it's a a ride that is not empty. It's not empty calories. It's not transformers. There are no giant robots punching other giant robots and you can't tell which robot is which. It is a, a well-crafted, a smart spy movie that rewards active watching rewards
1: uh an active audience you don't have to be a genius but just try i mean that's what i do i just i try i'm not a genius i just fucking try i'm
0: sure it shows that i'm not a genius i'm sure it's patently fucking obvious to my audience
1: especially after this one i felt like this was a huge Fucking not ramble thing,
0: um. But then the movie's plot is kind of intertwined and complicated, so maybe how I think that there were a lot of concepts that came up and I didn't know how to address them chronologically in the in in this podcast versus versus how they they come to be in the movie and how they are in the movie's universe. It's very complicated that way. And it's hard to not step on, on reveals and things like that.
1: This is um, this is Spy Game 2001. I am Mark D, uh, IT guy,
0: dad, and generally bad movie nerd. And you can tweet at me at coolmarkd, cool the C and mark with a K. I don't really know a whole lot about ethics. So any argument that you bring to me is probably more right than mine.
1: So I'm just going to mute those. Um, but like I said, laws and ethics are different. I'll leave it at that. And I, it's just, it, I'll leave it at that.
0: But yeah, let me know uh, if you've seen this movie, if you liked the movie, if you had never seen it and then you watched it and then you listen to the podcast and you're like, oh, fuck. You listen to the podcast and you're like, oh shit, that, that's cool, that's awesome, I didn't, I didn't get that on my first watch, I understand a little more now. Uh, that'd be cool. If you have questions like, what the fuck was this guy doing? Yeah, I mean, I have those too, like, why is it that in like 40 years everybody looks the same? it's um, a good question, but they're also movie stars, but also
1: the movie already costs $115 million. You'd need fucking Robert Redford, Brad Pitt in fucking makeup. In fucking makeup for eight hours a day. Um, although by
0: my reckoning I think that um Brad Pitt's character would have been like forty four, forty five at um at the towards the end of towards whenever he would have gotten caught in that prison. Which I mean they cut his hair and stuff and, and maybe he looks a tiny bit older but not quite that old, but maybe it's just spies, man. Maybe they just they uh, when they're good in the field, they just they age well. I I think nobody trusts an ugly person, I and mean, there have been there have been studies done on how people react to other people based on how attractive
1: they are and things like that. And I hate to say it, but I I think that maybe human nature is is kind of set up that way, and You know, I have a face for Radio Man. So maybe that's part of it too. But. I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to stop bringing up more shit. I I desperately need sleep. Like desperately. So. I'm going to go to sleep. But I did like watching this movie again. I still like this movie. Even though. Hey, it does have some problems. But. I still like it. It's still really fun spy thriller that's maybe the most spy of the bunch Um, between Swordfish and Born Identity this is by far the most spy
0: movie so there's that and I appreciate that I appreciate a good ass spy movie I don't appreciate uh,
1: a sad guy talking to ghosts all the time and Pierce Brosnan just running around being a dick So I like spy movies, but they have to be, they have to be spy movies. I like detective movies too,
0: but I'm going to sign off. I don't know how to sign off. I should figure out how to sign off. I'm going to sign off. Um, I hope to kind of maybe take a hiatus and then maybe come back with some music. I, I kind of want to make some music for the podcast. I feel weird without intro music. I think everyone should have intro music, but I don't want to pay for it. So I'm going to try to make it. If not, I might ask somebody to make it for me as a huge, huge favor um i know a couple of people so so there's that uh, but yeah thanks for listening thank you for watching if you watched with me i if you watched the movie let me know what you thought about it i i'd like to think that that we watched the movie together kind of and that we had a very one one way conversation where i just i was i had i had a lot of caffeine i had a lot of coffee and i just went on a Crazy one and a half hour long rant, or or however long this ends up being, because about one and a half hours, I guess. But yeah, I like this movie. I like this movie, and there's a lot. There's more notes. I have I have so many notes, but I I, I take notes in a way that I can read them at at leisure, um, but they're not structured for this. They are structured in the in the chronology of the movie. So I think maybe I should do index cards. I have some. I have some index cards. So I might do that next and see how that goes. So stay tuned for index cards after the mid-season update. Good night, everybody. But I had
1: watched about 30 minutes of the movie. That's a yawn.